Welcome back to Only a Notebook. I am your host, Nathaniel Mellor, and on this rainy afternoon, I decided to talk about character descriptions. Character descriptions can be an amazing place to sort of stretch your writing abilities, to flex your muscles, as it were. Um, it can be a great place to get creative. It can be a great place to take your poetic license and just run with it. It's also a great place to challenge your prejudice, um, to expand your mind, to sort of fully understand what it feels like to be somebody else, to be in somebody else's shoes. Um, and that's, you know, your job as a writer is you have to kind of get into somebody else's shoes, understand how that is, and then try to understand every reader who reads this story or this book or this poem to also understand how it feels. And that's the mark, I think, of a good writer is when a writer can create a character that is nothing like themselves, uh, or at least nothing like themselves on the surface, and then get every reader to deeply feel, to deeply and uh, emphatically uh, empathize with this character that they also probably have no relation to whatsoever. And as like personally, as a, as a 26 year old white male, right, I think that I might have this huge worldview because I've traveled. Um, I've lived in different neighborhoods. I've lived in different states, in different countries. I've held different jobs. I've um, you know, uh, well, I was going to say my, my financial status hasn't changed that much. I'm still relatively short on money, but that's, you know, something that for a lot of people change. I've lived in a number of different ways in different areas and different places. So I might think that, you know, I, like I said, I have this really expanded worldview. And in reality, I know that's, you know, deeply, deeply untrue. Uh, I have a very thin slice worldview in the, in the sense that I, I, I've only seen it, obviously, from my eyes. And, and when I'm very lucky, when I'm, when I'm fortunate enough to see it from somebody else's eyes, um, I then I learned that too, but it's not often because it's, you know, as we go through this world, we often see the world through our own eyes um, and, and through our own experiences and through how people judge us and react to us and interact with us. Um, and that is a huge part of what creates our worldview. Um, so I don't have, the, you know, the same worldview I, I would have had, I mean, had I, I mean, for instance, I've like, I've never lived in a country where I, I've never been a citizen in a country where I couldn't vote. And so that might change my worldview if I couldn't get an equal say in what happens in the country, or at the very least, an equal say in who gets to make the decisions of that country. Um, I mean, on that same note, I haven't actually lived in a country that doesn't have elections, uh, or I mean, been a citizen in a country that doesn't have elections. Uh, I've never lived under a monarchy, or I've never lived under something like that, you know, dictatorship, where it's I don't get the, the say. Um, and likewise, I haven't you know lived in a country, or at least been a citizen of a country, where I don't get an equal say as someone else. Um, you know, what I say and what somebody else is saying is just as important. And again, if it were untrue, if, if it were not the case, that would also influence my worldview, um, giving me a slightly different perspective, um, giving me a slightly different understanding. And I find that writing characters that are not yourself, that are not who you are, is a great way to challenge your own ideas, your great way to challenge your own worldview. Because it, it forces you to break down what you know it forces you to break down what you know about yourself, but also what you know about, again, the world, about other people, about your friends, about your family. Um, I mean, you know, I have a brother who's, you know, again, a couple years older than me, but it's white male, 28. Not, you know, it's very similar, but his his experience of this world is going to be very different than my own. Um, and in one hand, with jobs, you know, he graduated high school at sort of the height of the 2007 depression or recession, uh, so he couldn't find work. Um, which meant that, you know, he didn't go, he ended up not going to college and he ended up, so it's, you know, there's these other little things that sort of build up and he ended up kind of moving to a different state and trying to find work there and that all influenced him simply because he was born a few years later. 
So although we've had you know very equal standings as far as same parents, grew up in the same places, etc., 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 he has a very different worldview than I do. Even though for you know we're on this sort of uh, ground level, we're ultimately this kind of the same person, or at least the same upbringing. Um, but it's changed who we are as people, I should say. Um, so the idea of creating a character that's unlike you, you know, this could be kind of anything. This could be a different gender, a different race, a financial status. I mean, if you are wealthy, you know, create someone who's poor. If you're poor, you know, create someone who's wealthy. Um, and all that kind of sounds like a joke a little bit. Um, you know, be be honest with it. We'll try to understand what that what some of those stresses would be like. Uh, what some of that fear and anxiety and um, what what a character, what a person who is, you know, not, I'm not talking about obscenely wealthy maybe, but just sort of like, you know, an, enough wealth that they're, they can at least buy the slightly more expensive ice cream at the grocery store without panicking and checking their bank account. Um, but also a different nationality, you know, or a different species, just the art of racing the reins from the perspective of a dog. There's no self-conscious, like, this is just a campy story. Uh, it, was, it was a very well-written, very honest story because, it, you know, I felt like reading it, like, this is how a dog would see the world. Uh, and sometimes, you know, maybe it's a perspective of an inanimate object, um, an unused tea kettle, how the kettle feels in relation to the tea kettle that is used. Um, you know, how it feels, again, to have a purpose, to have use, to have of appreciation, to be liked. I mean, there's anything has its own perspective. Uh, and it's I, again, I find it's your job as a writer to find that perspective, to understand that perspective, and to use that perspective. If I want to write somebody about totally unlike myself, you know, um, I would I would choose a uh, a seventy year old Japanese woman from Osaka, Japan, um, and that would be that be character. Like, how do I get? How do I understand this character? First of all, how do I understand who this character is? But then, how do I get my readers to understand this character as well? And how do I get them to, when, when reading this character, to not think, "Oh, this is clearly written by somebody who has no idea what they're talking about," but, "Oh, is this like nonfiction? Is this a journal? Is this a diary? Like, what is this? Feels like you know, this feels honest." And I've I've read a number of stories and, and short stories, especially that a number like throughout the story, I'll constantly check who wrote it because I'm so dumbfounded by the, the fact that, you know, this isn't um, a nonfiction journal entry, that this is pure fiction, this is, you know, completely f fabricated uh, because of how much I'm believing this to be true, um, of, of the, the, the smallest, the slightest details that this, this writer has chosen to use, and I'm, I'm blown away by it. So, you know, for me, if I'm writing the story about this seven-year-old Japanese woman from Osaka, it's this question of how was it, you know, born, you know, if I, let's just, I sort of mentally might give her birth date, 1950, 1952. So how, it, you know, how is it to be 10 years old in the 60s or 20, year old, 20 years old in the 70s? And not just the 70s in America, but the 70s in Japan and the 70s, you know, in a place where maybe it's a little more traditional. Um, what about, you know, family obligations? What about societal obligations? What about, um, you know, writing about respect, writing about um, sort of anything that I, again, these things I don't fully understand myself, but trying to understand it from someone else's perspective. I apologize if you can hear the thunder. It's um, still storming outside. Uh, and these, and I, again, so these are the things that would make me try to try and open up my own worldview, try to open up my own understanding of someone else until I can fully understand it. And one way, of course, to do this, especially if you're trying to write about somebody you don't know anything about. Um, because, you know, I mean, like for me, what would I know about Japan except, you know, outside of like anime and a couple entries on a Wikipedia page? Not much. Um, so it means a lot of research. It means reading firsthand accounts. It means reading 
um, bio, uh, biographies and autobiographies and diaries and journals. It means reading fictional books that take place in Japan by Japanese authors. And it means trying to understand what are some of the common threads that run through um, that culture, that society. Uh, and it's the same way with American. I mean, you, you know, I think on a personal level, I know if a non-American writer has written American characters that take place in America, and they're, they, sometimes they, can, they miss the, the, the point or they miss their mark. And it's like, oh, it's kind of clear you didn't grow up in America. Not the end of the world. But these are something, you know, I, when I, especially when I do these, the beta reading or I do editing, those are the things I recommend changing. I'm like, you know, uh, I see what you're going for. I see why you thought this to be true, especially if you, you know, you only watch TV and that's what is in TV. But I'm like, it's not necessarily in uh, real life. Um, you know, this is, this, is a, this is a TV trope, not in real life reality. But there are two major concepts of character description or character development, really, that I find, um, that I try to hold in my mind as I, as I beta read, as I edit, and as I write. Um, and the, I, when I say hold in my mind, I mean I try to look for them and see if they exist in this person's writing and see if they've executed it properly. And the first concept is the default. Um, it's just what defaults have you used in your story and what defaults have you created in your story. And by default, I simply mean, um, actually, let me say, every person you know, in this world has their own default. Um, because we, what our default is, is if this thing is not like me, I am the default that is not like me, that is now the, the, um, the standout, that's the, 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 the uh, exception, right? Um, I'm young, if somebody's old, that's the exception. I, of course, when I am old, now the young is the exception. Um, I'm tall, so the exception is short. Um, I have, you know, beards, the exception is, is, is shaved. Whatever it might be for you, everybody has their own, because we do see the world through our own eyes. Uh, and it's important, you know, in, in writing, a default is an incredibly useful tool, um, mainly especially in short stories where you don't have a lot of room to create. You don't have a lot of room to create a world. So you have to rely on defaults. And I'll talk about this a little bit more in some other videos, but, but one, one example not related to characters is, is thinking about a city. Um, let's talk about, let's think about New York City. There are defaults that exist within New York City. Um, some of them are, are the unfortunate defaults. There is crime. Um, there are people experiencing homelessness. Um, there are car accidents. Um, there are unused, there are buildings not used for, for, for anything. They're just empty. They're, um, you know, this, this waste of space. Uh, and there are, there are other defaults, neutral defaults, such as, you know, um, there are cars on the street. There are food sellers on every corner. Um, there are people who hold the doors open for you, but that actually, I guess that'll be a nice default. You know, people who hold the doors open, people who, uh, you know, tell tell the train conductor to hold up while you run into the subway. Um, that that there's these defaults as far as bad, you know, uh, a neutral good. And when you're writing something, you can rely on that. So if you are, you have a character who walked outside of a building onto the street in the middle of the day. You don't have to say that the street was filled with cars. You don't have to say the sidewalk was filled with people, because most people are going to imagine that. Uh, you know, if your character just walked out, I apologize again for the thunder. But if your character just walked out onto 7th Avenue, right, and you can mention, like, the hustle and bustle of people, but you don't have to. We assume that's the case. We assume there are uh, cars in the street. We assume there's honking. We assume there's the smell of bagels and trash and sewage. Um, these are the defaults because it's a city. And so if you mention there are no cars in the street, you are mentioning this is the exception. This is, um, you know, this is the standout, the fact there are no cars in the street or there are no people on the street. Um, 
And so when you get into a character in character writing and character descriptions and development, you can also use a default here, such as if you're writing a, care, a book that takes place in America, in the United States. You don't have to say any of your characters are American unless, I mean, unless they aren't. Um, but that's the default. We're assuming these characters are American, and we're going to go ahead and assume, if your book is written in English, that they speak English, unless it's uh, right off the bat, you know, you, you say this book is, you know, the, the characters in this book are speaking Spanish, but I have translated it into English for the purpose of the reader's, you know, um, sort of ease of reading. Um, but we, there are certain things we're going to assume with a book, book written in America by an American, if the book is written in English. There are defaults that come with that. Um, however, there are also the unfortunate side, the, the sort of flip side of the default is the, it creates the opportunity for prejudice. Uh, it creates this opportunity for a destructive default is, is what I've sort of calling it. Um, and I've noticed it, and I first sort of noticed it, um, when I started, when I beta read somebody's book about a year or two ago, and I got three quarters of the way through and they mentioned then one of the characters was black. And I went back and reread the story and I finished the story, and because I wanted to finish the story to make sure this wasn't important in the sense of, is this going to come up later? Is this actually, like, incredibly important that we know this? Um, because none of the other characters up until this point had ever been mentioned by their race uh, or skin color or anything like that. Um, and I, when, I, when I brought it up to the writer, they were like, oh, no, no, the rest of the characters are white. And I thought, and I explained, like, what you've done is you created a default. You've created this idea that the default is white, and then I will mention it if that person is not white. But it creates this idea of prejudice. It creates the idea of white is normal, and anything that isn't white is not normal. Um, and of course, this, you know, this says a lot about you as a writer, if that's what you're creating. This says, this is how I see the world. White is normal. Um, it says a lot about you as also a creator, not willing to um, break down your own prejudice, not willing to break down your own worldview, not willing to see it from somebody else's point of view. Of course, these defaults do exist. These destructive defaults do exist in other ways. Um, and it, I should say, it's almost always with novice writers. I rarely see it in published books. Um, though I do, I mean, I, I will say I do actually see it, in some, and I appreciate people calling them out. You know, see them on Twitter and things like that, where people call out like, hey, that's not okay. I don't know how your agent and your publisher didn't catch this. This is ridiculous. Um, but I do see it most with novice writers. People have never written before, or if they've never written long form, as far as they normally do short stories, where sometimes they're not talking about what a character might look like or not describing the character in detail. But more often than not, it's somebody who's never written before or who reads a lot of, you know, like, oh, I read a lot of sci-fi, I read a lot of fantasy. So I wanted to make my own book. And it's like, fantastic. I'm very excited. I'm excited you're writing. I'm excited you're trying to create. Um, but, you know, what you're having, it's one thing to keep in mind is how, how other people are going to read this because you're reading this from your own perspective. But you've never, you haven't yet thought about how someone else might be reading this. And you've just created this sort of opportunity, like I said, for, for prejudice. Um, and on a much smaller level, it's just these defaults, you know, to be, to be clear, unless, again, explicitly stated otherwise. Uh, if it's a fantasy book and you're just like, this entire race of so-and-so have, um, I don't know, long, wavy brown hair, um, then you've created a, right, a, a new default. Perfect. Easy. Thank you. Now we know all, all these people look like. And then it's important to mention what that exception is of, oh, but this person has long wavy red hair or long wavy purple hair. Now we know that's important. That is um, that is something that stands out. Um, I mean, like even for instance, in The the, the Witcher, you know, it's a, again, fantasy, but it's an example of like he has white hair. That's the exception. Not that nobody else has white hair, but he's not an ancient guy with white hair. He just, white hair, yellow eyes, 
that's his thing. Um, and that's you know, the same thing with height. It's the same thing with uh, curly hair, straight hair, beard, no beard, big nose, small nose, big ears, small ears. Um, there are no defaults. So it's important if you're going to describe one to describe them all, in my mind. Um, somebody else might tell you differently. Somebody else might say, no, 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 you know, only describe it if it's important. Um, but I find that it does sort of, it, it flirts dangerously with this idea of if you're only going to describe things when it's important, then it's either it's going to look like lazy writing or it's going to look like prejudice writing. However, this does bring me to the gestalt, um, which is, it is more of, a, of an artistic term, like it's a term more used in art than it is in writing. Um, but it's sort of like when you're when you're sketching, when, when you're about a painter, about a write, draw or something like that, you you lay down a really quick sketch, and it's just the um, what you're doing is you're finding basically the space that the shapes take up, and you're trying to get this impression of this thing you are drawing or painting. And and one way, like I mean, an, an example, it could be that you look at something. Um, really quickly and close your eyes. Just look over something, close your eyes, and get this first impression in your head of what it is. Um, and that's kind of the gestalt. It's just the first thing your mind captures. It's the, you see the whole before you see the individual details. Um, and of course, it might not be true. That's the, and this is of course where things get a little bit problematic, um, but sometimes your, your first impression isn't true um, because that's just, you know, what we're, your brain is trying to fill in the blanks based on what your brain already knows. Um, so it means that we bring our preconceptions, we as readers, I should say, bring our preconceptions to any book. Um, and it's your job as the writer to either use our preconceptions to your advantage or um, to, to buck the trend, basically. Um, and so now, like, let's take this out of the sort of the, the hypothetical, talking about, you know, maybe practical examples. Um, in the movie Get Out, um, the Jordan Peele movie, um, he used the, the people's sort of preconception of police officers um, to say that these aren't good people. And, you know, it's, it's. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, and I don't want to spoil it, so fear, you know, spoilers your head sort of thing, but um, at the very end of the movie, you know, we think finally the main character has won, that house of, you know, weird, creepy white people is dead, he's going to get away, and a cop car pulls up, and we know this is not a good thing, because, you know, he's, he's one, already set up the cop at the beginning of the movie to not be um, somebody who's, you know, sort of a trustworthy individual, um, but I think also after like 2020, which was not a great year um, for for police in the media, um, not it did not build trust. I think with a lot of people. Um, but now you might not have to set up that scene where the cop is untrustworthy. You could simply, you know, after 2020, we all have this sort of idea of like, oh yeah, maybe cops aren't exactly to be trusted. Um, you know, they don't actually have to protect and or serve if they don't feel the need to do so. Uh, and that kind of comes now into stories, and you can use that trope. You can use that trope without having to explicitly mention it because you're working off people's preconceptions. Um, another, again, another preconception is, um, uh, for instance, a doctor. Um, and this you do actually have to set up a little bit because we want to know if this is supposed to be a good doctor or a bad doctor at the beginning. Uh, is this, you know, the evil doctor? Um, is this the, you know, the one who's supposed to destroy the world or, you know, illegally experiment on people or, or simply be you know, slightly extra painful when getting surgery? Or is this the good doctor, the one supposed to be caring and helpful and generous and open and good-hearted? Um, and that's the kind of thing I do have to set up right at the beginning to let us know. Um, but you don't have to explain to us what an evil doctor is. You don't have to explain to us what a good doctor is. We understand. Um, we have seen, you know, movies and shows and television where there are bad doctors. 
um, where they are, you know, trying to either, like I said, destroy the world or just cause people pain. And we have seen where there are good doctors, where they are trying to help people. Um, doctor Who comes to mind, you know, obviously not a medical doctor, but that's still the, the trope used. Um, but you as a writer can absolutely use pe people's preconceptions um, as a shortcut, you know, really to, to sort of uh, quickly describe a character without having to actually describe the character. Um, again, though, that does, that can lead into um, to a, a sort of a destructive mindset, a, a prejudiced mindset, because some people sort of miss a mistaken idea of using people's preconceptions as a as a way of using uh, insults or as ways using cliches or as a way of using um, uh, stereotypes, basically, you know, as, as a preconception. And they're and they're they're wanting like you know this is a stereotype that we all know, and so this is a preconception. And a lot of comedy routines are based off of that. A lot of comedy routines, especially obviously, I should say, in late '90s, early 2000s, mid 2000s, um, comedy routines would use people's sort of understanding of a stereotype to make the joke without having to make the joke themselves. Um, but now, of course, we've moved away from that, thankfully. Um, at least, by and large, we've moved away from that. Uh, but sometimes in writing, again, with novice writers, I've seen that they're using, you know, you didn't use a, a preconception here, you used a stereotype here. Um, and that, again, is, is negative. That's prejudice. Don't do that. <laughs> try, try to be better than that. One thing to note, though, about a preconception is it can be sometimes more powerful than what you have written. Uh, and in the sense of sometimes how somebody wants to see a character you've written will override the character you've actually written. Um, and I, one example of this is, is um, in, oh, I can't remember, it's, it's, it's the um, Catching Fire, I think, maybe? It's, I think the second Hunger Games. Um, but there's a character, Rue, and she's written in the book as a young black girl. And the movie came out, and there was just sort of nationwide explosive anger um, from all the wrong people about how they are sort of, you know, blackwashing cinema. And, oh, my God, it's, you know, racial diversity is why they cast her as a black girl, all sorts of things. Because, you know, they cast who was a black girl in the book as a black girl on the movie. Uh, and that caused people's minds to sort of explode. And of course, you go back to the book and you say, well, it's, it's right here. It's written. She's described as being black. She's not like, what is your issue with this? What, 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 what is your problem with this? And I think this is me guessing. But the thing is, when this character is introduced, people immediately gave her a, an appearance that they wanted to give her without, you know, and without ever changing it later if that appearance was challenged. Um, and this happens in, and I, you know, in less serious ways sometimes. Um, and I think, I mean, one example, you know, using Harry Potter as an example, not a great example, perhaps, um, but uh, the character Hermione is supposed to have, you know, curly, frizzy brown hair. But like, you know, and so people imagine her with curly, frizzy brown hair. And then we see the movie where it's like, wait, she doesn't have curly, frizzy brown hair at all. That's, I mean, it's, if it's, it looks like her hair is humid. Um, but then at the same time, we have this, you know, preconception of Snape. And then you see the movie and you're like, that's amazing. They have nailed the character of Snape. That's perfect. That's what everybody imagined this character to look like. What a beautiful job. Um, so there are ways, again, that like we we do, we as writers in this case, um, do use people's preconceptions to read characters and we're able to do so. Um, but it is important to know that sometimes, even though you're very explicit in how a character might look, that isn't necessarily what the character uh, will end up being in somebody's head. Um, and again, as a, as a shortcut, you can use this to your advantage. 
you can give, uh, I, I have um, a short story about a fisherman, and the only thing I've described this fisherman, um, the only description I've given this fisherman is a description of his clothes. Um, he has a sun, sort of sun-bleached uh, bathing suit. Uh, he's got a white collar, a white button-down shirt. It's a crisp white button-down shirt. Uh, and he has a bag of fish heads tied around his waist. And this is based off of a, a, an actual person I saw in, in Macedonia who was fishing at a lake. Uh, and I wanted to create a story around him. So that's, But I wanted to just give that description. Although in, in real life, in reality, he was deeply tanned and he had white hair. It was, you know, as if he'd never, ever spent a day inside in his life. Um, and I, but I wanted to, I didn't want to let people know that. I wanted to kind of let people kind of create their own image of this guy because I wanted to kind of give him a sort of maybe mysterious, but also sort of like this guy can be whoever you want him to be sort of sense. Um, I didn't give him an age. I didn't give anybody an age either because I thought that might be, you know, I thought it might sway somebody's perception one way or the other. So I just said a fisherman, you know, and, and, and described the clothes. And I gave this story to beta readers, and I was curious. And I asked, the, you know, most of them, like, what? Did, out of curiosity, what did you see this this fisherman looking like? You know, who was this fisherman to you? Um, and I, weirdly, a number of people got back to me saying that they actually found him to be Cuban. They thought he was a you know old, old Cuban guy um, because of Ernest Hemingway's uh, The Old Man in the Sea. Um, they thought I was you know sort of rewriting this or recreating this um, this story. And a number of other people thought he was English. Um, sort of, you know, they got sort of an English vibe from him somehow. Um, but, you know, people's, people's basically had these different perspectives based on what they had already read or what they had already seen or what they, where they have, where they themselves have seen fishermen. Like I almost always saw fishermen, um, growing up in, 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 in Georgia. So it's the fishermen would be on the, on the marshes or on the, the beaches. Um, and they would have a very sort of, you know, country feel to them. They were not, you know, um, as I saw Macedonia, these old guys with, you know, stick rods and a bag of fish heads, or as we see in Italy, they're old guys with wooden boats. Uh, a lot of old guys, weirdly. Um, so but, but that has played up my own perception of fishermen. I've used my own, you know, preconceptions to describe the person in my head, but now I wanted to see what other people's preconceptions were. And I find that it can be sometimes more powerful when you're creating a character to let people fill in the blanks like that. Um, some people do consider this lazy writing, and I understand that fully. Um, they think, you know, if you're not going to create a character, don't write the character. If you're not going to give us a detail about how this character looks, don't write the character. And I totally understand that. Uh, however, I find sometimes, especially with a character like this, um, it's, it's more about how I want someone to connect to this character. And really, I described everybody else in the story except him because I wanted him to sort of be a mirror, for lack of a better term. I wanted him to sort of. I wanted people to fill this character up with what they wanted to see in him. If they if they wanted him to be good, you know, a lot of his his the way he talks can be taken as um, good as a, as a person being good, or a lot of it could be taken as uh, stern, or a lot of it can be taken as disapproving, depending on the tone they gave him, and depending on on how that you know if he, they thought he was young, it might his words would sound different if unless you know if they thought he was young versus old. Um, if they thought he was a sort of a tired versus excited and energetic. Um, and I think that, for me, sometimes plays into it because I think sometimes a reader will want to connect to your character no matter what. If you've created a character that the reader should connect to, like the, the good guy, right, the good person, the the main, the the um, the Luke Skywalker or the, you know, the, the sort of Katniss Everdeen to go back to, um, uh, wow, I really played Hunger Games. 
And so, go, so, so you, you want people to connect to that character. So you want to make them you know, relatable. You want to make them good. You want to make them something that people can see part of themselves in. Um, and that helps them, you know, sort of relate to the character and, and willing to overlook sort of any flaws um, if the character has flaws, if you've created flaws for your character. Um, and that's just a way to use preconceptions. And again, the defaults, though, do they, they tie in. They sort of work side by side. Um, it's And part of it is just as a shortcut for writing oftentimes. It's how do you how do you write something without actually having to write it? How do you write something but letting the reader fill in the blanks, letting the reader understand from societal context or from age context um, or from, you know, if it's, if you, sometimes it's different if you're reading something online versus reading something in print because online your, your brain is primed um, to understand things like memes and understand things like, um, you know, whatever's trending or what, what's going um, viral or something like that. But when you're reading a book, Sometimes that can seem out of place. Uh, it's the same thing like with movies. You know, very com if somebody tries to use a meme or some sort of viral uh, video or something like that in a movie, if you're not ready to see it, your brain isn't primed to see it, you might actually miss it. Or it, even worse, it might seem sort of bad or lazy out of place because it is simply like, oh, you didn't let us know this is the kind of movie it would be. Uh, you know, we weren't expecting that in this movie. Um, so I hope these two, these two concepts have helped, the default and the gestalt. I hope these two concepts have helped you write, and I hope to see you in the next episode.